Hey guys, Bejimps and Darius, aka BJ here from Dear Dad Podcast. Now, when I started this podcast, I wanted a platform where I can record and upload my content very easily. I didn't want to go through any hoops to get my podcast out there. When I did start my podcast, I was on a different platform. But after I was introduced to Anchor not once, not twice, but over three times by my close friends, I decided to give Anchor a try. I must say, I absolutely love it. Not only is it easy to use, but I am able to record, edit, post, and publish all my episodes right there on the app or the site. I was able to transfer all my episodes onto Anchor in less than five minutes. That, for me, was unbelievable. Oh yeah, here's the best thing of all. It's free. It is free to use. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. But take my word on this. It's true. Using Anchor has definitely made podcasts so easy. Trust me, you'll love it. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome to the Dear Dad podcast. This is the place where we address dad dynamics and discuss personal experiences, stories, and poem submissions to help provide a platform for healing while simultaneously uplifting one another. Let's change the dad narrative all around. Let's go. Let's grow. Hello, you beautiful people. My name is Bejimson Darius, a.k.a. BJ, and today I have another guest for you, a special guest for you. And this guy we met over in, uh, Instagram, just trying to get to know each other. And I was like, I want to get to know your story. I want, you to know, I want to get to know your dadhood story. Again, I'm not going to take the shine away from you. I'm going to introduce you guys to, um, before I introduce you guys, I'm sorry. He is a producer <laughs> of Arthur. And, you know, it's, he's, he has so much criteria. He has so much under his belt. But I was a little bit excited. So I'm going to introduce you guys to Frank Myers. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, I'm Frank Meyer. And yeah, it is. It's always kind of tough when people say he's a because there's like a whole bunch of stuff that follows. I guess I'm a multitasker, but Mm. I, I, you know, I'm a musician and I'm a writer. I've written a bunch of books and all of my bands have made albums and I've toured and done all that stuff. But at some point, being both a musician and a writer, two really risky job careers to fall into, uh, when I had my kid and became a father, I was kind of like, all right, man, you, you can't just be like driving around in a van with a bunch of punk rockers and <laughs> writing articles about rock and roll and, you know, and calling that like an adult life. So I ended up sort of taking my background in production and writing and becoming uh, essentially a TV and digital producer. And so I sort of over the last 15 years added that to my resume and started off working on websites and moved into TV and then moved into doing app content and digital stuff. So yeah, I do directing, I do producing, I do editing, I do music, I write songs, I play about 10 different instruments. And since COVID, everyone's working from home now. So I kind of basically took my little apartment in Long Beach and turned it into like a one-stop shop production studio. So I've Mm. been scoring movies from here. I've been editing my newest documentary film. I've been cranking out music with all sorts of other musicians that can record from home and just kind of trying to get through this by staying productive and creative. And of course I live with my daughter who's now 16. So she has to put up with all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you have your handful, you have your handful, you, you doing whatever that you need, you need to do. And I, I applaud that. Um, There's never an end game. There's never a, a dull moment because there's always something for you to do. There's always something for you to grab onto to just like, 
either editing, producing, writing, all that stuff, you have that in the background. So there's never a dull moment for you, is there? Yeah, no, but also I think it's, it, it, to make the parallel to fatherhood, being an artist and especially being a creative type now in 2020 in the midst of all of this, you know, sort of quarantining and people having to refocus, you have to be able to pivot. That's sort of like the thing that I've really learned about myself over these last six months. And I, something I really started learning as a father is like, you have all these set ways of doing things. And then mm -hmm. when you have a kid that all of it's gone, you have to re your sleeping schedule is different. Your food schedule is different. Your, the amount of time you spend like on yourself and your own interests and hobby and drinking with the guys, all that stuff changes because you're a father and your priorities change. And I found that when all this sort of new way of living hit in the last six months, I, once again, I had to kind of go, well, how do I take what I do and mm. pivot a little bit and still be able to A, try to make some money, try right. to make some money, right. and also be able to keep myself busy. And, you know, I don't want to spend like six months binge watching TV. I mean, I could, but <laughs> I have spent quite a bit of time. But, but you know, for me, it just, it all, all this sort of stress that we're under in society right now, I deal with it by playing music and being creative and putting my head into work. Awesome. 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 All right. So let's dive in into yes, your dad. Let's dive into your dad. Let's get a perspective of your journey um, with your dad. Tell me about your dad. Well, I have three dads. Um, I have a really weird sort of uh, story that um, I'm sure some folks out there can relate to, but I haven't found too many. Uh, I all together, if you want to get technical, I have seven parents. Okay. Now, you're doing the math and you're like, I don't know how that's possible. I'll give you the quick breakdown, which is my mom and my dad got married when they were really young and probably shouldn't have gotten married. They had me, they immediately got divorced. It was the seventies and apparently in the seventies, people just were like, had some wacky thoughts of the way of dealing with the parenting and responsibility. Because when my mom got remarried to the man that became my stepdad and essentially raised me, they went to court with my real dad and legally adopted me from one dad to the other so that when I was born, I was born with the very Irish sounding, Irish Catholic name, Francis Joseph Mahaney the third, <laughs> or the fourth. But then when, after that little court thing, I became, I got adopted to Chris Meyer and I became Frank Mahaney. My last name became my middle, Meyer. And years later I said to my dad, I go, okay, I still don't even understand why you guys went to court and did all that stuff, but whatever. <laughs> it was the seventies. It was a loosey goosey time. But, and I understand why you took my last name and made my middle, but why did, where, why did Francis become Frank? And he goes, I didn't want you to get your ass kicked in school. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's solid that's reasoning. Enough. That's enough. Uh, but anyway, so then, so then cut to another 10 years, they get divorced. My mom gets remarried to my second stepdad. And then along the way, my dad gets remarried. My first stepdad got remarried. Then my dad gets divorced and got remarried again, putting me at seven, count them, seven parents. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a mouthful. So, so each one of, meaning I kind of have three different versions of tell me about your dad. Cause right. they were three very, very different people. And I won't be super long winded, but um, my dad who uh, raised, or my dad is my blood dad. Um, really, I don't think it was all that interested in being a dad. Super nice guy. We, we've stayed close my whole relationship. I love him and everything, but mm -hmm. it just like, 
he was just like a rambler. You know what I mean? He just went on. He's a working guy, a rambling guy. He just uh, kind of went on to other things. He stayed in my life, but I just don't think that was his bag. My stepdad was super in the mix and responsible and has really been the guy who raised me. And that's sort of what I consider to be like my father figure. And then my second stepdad was kind of a guy that married my mom that like didn't really want kids, but like there we were and he tried his best and he was a good dude and he wasn't, didn't do anything wrong. He just- This was there. Just was kind of there. He did do some stuff along the way that I don't think he realized how sort of important it was. Like there's a few things with my brother and I that sort of sent us on our career path that actually my my later stepdad sort of was the one to instigate that stuff. But um, it wasn't necessarily because he was trying to be a great dad. (laughs) I don't think he had much interest in that, but whatever. Wow, that is a mouthful. (laughs) I mean, I, I would say I have, I mean, a whole clan worth of siblings, but when it comes to dads and moms, parents thing <laughs> i've never heard that dynamic in itself that's actually that's new for me yeah that's a whole lot new for me well and and it was strange because when i became a father i had uh three totally different examples or if you want to see them as role models or sometimes you look at it as like the things not to do mm-hmm. um but i had three totally different parenting styles that i grew up with and three male father figures in my life who were completely different from each other, completely different in how they treated me and my brother. And uh, so it definitely gave me a good perspective. I think I kind of came into fatherhood going like, well, here's all the things I don't want to be like, and here's the things I'd like to do better. Mm. Wow. Wow. So you had a, you had a lot of examples or you have a lot of ways to just like, you could, I guess you can pick which ones you think you wanted to just, you know, you needed to do or have to do. Yeah, I mean, that's in an ideal world, it's that. I mean, depending on the day, you could also look at it as being absolutely assaulted by parents and opinions <laughs> and criticism. I mean, I'll tell you this, when I was a teenager, there was nothing worse than getting into trouble because I would get three or Ooh. four or five lectures. Like, each parent would call me to give me their own scolding with their own punishment and their own lesson I needed to learn. I'd just be like, oh, my God, not again. Yes, Dad, I understand. Pot is bad. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you have a lot. You have a lot to pick from, you know, as far as parenting and memories to pick from and whichever one you want to pick from right now, what, sure. what are some good memories that you have of either one of your dads that, that stands out to you? I mean, I have good memories of all of them. I have a complicated childhood, but by no means do I, am I trying to say that it was like a rough one, meaning right. everyone loved me and no one, no one, you know, they might've argued and stuff, but like no one was drawing punches. There was no, it was just, you know, it's the, just the way you grow up and you don't even understand when you're a kid that things are different until you become older and you go right. oh wait people have yeah. like one parent right you know uh but my so i have met great memories with all of them but i'd say that when you first ask that question the very first thing that comes to mind is at one point my stepdad chris the one who essentially raised me um for most of my childhood he lived in texas for a while and this is after he and my mom were divorced so i was maybe like 10 mm-hmm. and he lived right on the river and he had a boat and it was kind of the only time in my life where like anyone I knew had a boat and we used Mm. to go water skiing and we used to play by that river and go you know play with the frogs and get in the mud and all that stuff and it was you know it was kind of hillbilly but like I don't know I look back on it now and I think like it was such a 
pure sort of version of my childhood where we were like riding, doing all the typical things you'd see in like a summer movie about right. kids, you know, riding BMXs and out in the lake and playing with frogs and playing hide and seek and sneaking up to the girls' windows and just all that <laughs> BS that you do. We kind of crammed it all into one summer in Texas or a couple summers, really. Uh, it was also right when I first started listening to music a lot and rock and roll and kind of like listening to the radio. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know if the radio is quite as important to young kids now, but when I was young, like you could, like the radio was magical. Like you could hear something on the radio and it could literally change your entire life. Right, and I right, had right. a few instances like that. So I look at those times, you know, the, when you were still, when you still kind of looked at the world, like everything was golden and had potential before life smacks you around and teaches you <laughs> that you got to work hard or you will be crushed and die. <laughs> <laughs> That's adulthood. That's adulthood for you. I, right. I, I think about it right now. I look at my son. I'm like, man, you are fearless. You know what I'm saying? When we were, when we were kids, that's what we thought. The world was just like, a playground no matter where you no matter where you went no matter what you did it was just a playground um i look at my son now i'm just looking at him like yo you have no fear of anything like the only fear you have is if the light turns off you don't know where to go like right. there's no fear he can just or the come or the fear of you not being around or as much like that's the scariest thing yeah, when the your kid fear. is like coming home and like where is everybody right know? the typical fear but he's around now he's just like jumping off couches and doing all this reckless stuff. Maybe myself, when I was young and I was thinking, I'm like, man, when I was young, like I can literally go out all day and mm -hmm. barely eat anything and be okay. Yeah. Or I can just eat and just eat and eat and be okay. But now you can, you know, you can't do any of these things. Everything is minimized. Everything is just like, it's portion control. <laughs> Everything is just, and now, it's and different. I think, and I think about it too, in that like back then we, like our house, for instance, we, there was like this sort of ivy in the back of it. Like there was this kind of hill with ivy on it, right? And you know, as an adult, I know that ivy is full of like snakes and rats and broken bottles and all sorts of terrible stuff. And I wouldn't go like crawling, running around. We used to play in that ivy. Like, I mean, we built forts in there. We I would hide under the ivy, like embracing <laughs> the rats and the feces. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think about it now and I go, what? We were crazy. Why did it not occur to any of us how absolutely dangerous, stupid, and like just toxic it was? But you know, you're a kid, you're fearless. Like you said, like when I wanted to be a kid, I wanted to be a stunt man. You know how I practiced? I climbed up in trees and just jumped out of them. <laughs> I mean, and in my head, I was like, you know what? Do enough for this. I'm going to be ready for the big. Like, I thought I was in training. I was yeah, but you could you could do that when you, you know, <laughs> when you're a kid. You can do that. You can you can break your bone and get and just get back up again and continue yeah. playing. That's the kind of yeah. stuff you are. That's the that's the power that you have when you are a kid. All that stuff is at your is at your hands because you are able to do these things. Well, and some of it too is that you haven't, you know, you haven't failed yet you know so, right. meaning you haven't until you have your teeth punched out you don't know that getting your teeth punched out is an option until you know when we used to ride bikes and big wheels and we would build these jumps and try to get air that's all a good idea until you get too much air and come crashing down and take a bike in your crotch and all of a sudden Ooh. you're like hey you know what maybe make let's not do the jumping thing yeah you know what i mean like that's how you learn you know and as we get to be adults of course you you those same lessons come on bigger levels mm -hmm. because it's not just like knocking a tooth out or, you know, getting an argument with your best friend and now he's your best enemy. It's like you <laughs> screwed up like a job interview and you, mm -hmm. you didn't get that job because you, you know, you look back and you go, damn, I was too cocky or, mm. or like, you, you know, you said something to a girl 
that you can't take back and then you wondered later why she broke up with you and you're like oh well i mean maybe if i hadn't said those series of terrible you know that's the kind of stuff like you go up and you start to look back and you think before you act and that's to me the big difference between being a mature adult and being a kid is thinking before you act, thinking before you talk. I have all sorts of terrible thoughts in my mind and terrible things I want to say. You know, I'm talking to somebody and they mouth off to me and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and you know, the adult me goes, oh, calm down. You're going right. to get into a fight right. with this dude here out in public over some BS. Right. Like, come on, man. Right, right. I mean, again, as a child, everything, the world is up to you. And like yep. you said before, I, I completely agree with you that you haven't had the time to experience failure. You haven't had the time to experience quite certain fears in your life. Like, um, like you said, going to the, a job interview and realizing that you did something wrong. Like all, the girl, all the girl that you wrote a letter to and she never replied back and you just feel like, you just start reflecting on this stuff. But yeah. again, those are the, the childhood. Those are the things that you think about when as a child, you're like, what, what 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 was I thinking? Like, how did this yeah. go wrong, and why? why you ever, you, you ever write right that? You, you ever write that letter to the girl, and you're like, when you're writing it, you're like so heartfelt, and you're like, you know, oh, she, she's just gonna. Let, and then when she doesn't respond, you're like, I wonder why she didn't get that letter. I mean, it was only the one where I told her I've been thinking about her all the time, and I want to die with her, and we should be buried together. <laughs> oh, now I see. I Reality she, check. Yeah, I think I might be a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually experienced that when I was in um, grade school. I, this girl, she was, um, I, I believe she was interested in me. She even asked me. She was like, do you like me? She even sent me a letter. I let oh, that's her, a, like that's a, a good song. Do you like me, yes or no? But I checked yes. And I've never heard, after that, I've never heard anything from her. Like, she just looked back at me and just, like, never replied to anything. So I was crushed. Even since then, I'm like, what happened? You asked me a question. I answered it. So you had, you, now? You I, get, I'll tell you, you gave the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> she, wanted to, she wanted you to be elusive and be like, nah. Man, I like that Hard to get. Play hard to get. Yeah, was, yeah. You know. were. Yeah, you were all genuine. You were like, I sure do. And she's like, yeah. later, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what? And, and I was going to say with this next question, um, you, again, you have, you have abundance of examples to go by. You so say you have uh, three dads. And with your daughter right now, sure. um, do you see any characteristics in your, your birth dad um, that you see in yourself and maybe see in your daughter? Uh, yeah, I definitely see some of those traits from my dad to me, to my kid. Um, my dad is was a very creative type. So certainly, he really the only person in my, in my, my parents that was super creative was my dad. Ironically, he didn't go down that path as a career in the end, but he was a musician and he had that musical side to him and certainly that must have rubbed off on me he's also he's very um i think the thing that i share with him is that he's a super fun likable guy Mm -hmm. but he's very intense and i think i've learned over my time that i have that same thing where like people either immediately kind of warm up to me and like me or i'm way too intense for them and they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. Mm. and i kind of you know over time i've had to just you know you get a little more objective about who you are and how people see you and i kind of have just come to realize like i'm not for everybody right. and that's okay right. um so i think that part of my personality comes from my dad i don't think that 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 she shares that but i do see a lot of my intensity mm. in my daughter and while she's not um, sort of artsy the way that I'm artsy and that like I literally will spend my entire day working on music and writing and art projects essentially, um, she's passionate about music the way that I am. She's just not 
practicing it. She just okay. doesn't go that extra mile picking up a guitar. Although she's been playing bass lately, so maybe. But, um, but so I think the intensity is something. And then the humor. He's a likable guy. I'm a likable guy. My kid's very likable. I think we kind of share that. Somehow he's got that, that personality trait that pe are, people are drawn to him. You know? and I think I've had a, a, a bit mm -hmm. of that myself. Right, right, right. That's but I'm awesome. a, I'm the much more annoying version. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like for every generation, there's a modified version of it, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. your father was. Uh, I mean, he's a musician. He's very good at that, but he didn't practice it as much as he needs to. You're fully un uh, engaged, but while your daughter, again, she modifies it. She can do it, but it's not something yep. that's just like her. Is her number one? It's just and thank God, because if there's one career path, I would probably, if you could steer someone away, I'd be like, hey, don't if you don't. If you're not a thousand percent consumed mm. with being an artist, don't be an artist mm. uh, because it's the riskiest career path there is. And now, of course, if you are born to paint, then you got to paint. Right. If you're like me and you were born to play music and, and you just it makes your life is miserable without it, then you got to play music, whether, whether it's your career or your hobby or whatever. Like you got to do what makes you happy. Right. But as far as a career goes, you, there's no riskier, you know, career path than to become any kind of artist because you're just gambling everything on like I think I'm really good mm -hmm. well yeah but we all know now that being really good don't mean nothing don't you know it. what I mean you you meaning having a good marketing company right that might break your business you just being really good at something is a good start but hell no that's not enough mm. not now you know what <laughs> I mean because you could be subpar and be really great at social media and beat out those ones who are great at the job and don't know how to grind and hustle and make right, right. their, 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 you know, get their shine on. You know what I mean? So I think like these days, like just having, being a good craftsman at something is a good starting point. Mm -hmm. Being the best at it is a great starting point, right. but neither one of them are going to make you a million dollars. Right, right, you right. To, you have to be good at marketing. That's right. I mean, there's different, I mean, especially with the, the, high social media phase that we're living in right now, you have to know how to maneuver these things. Yeah. You have to know how to like manipulate these things. And I know for me, the person that I rely on heavily, <laughs> especially with this podcast and advertising and uh, social media is my wife. Cause she don't want us just literally the backbone of this, like this drive that I'm, I'm doing right now. As far as social media, she's a hundred percent on it. She's like the manager, manager of that because she knows what to look for, what, people are looking for and she dive in if it was up to me i would not be as far as i am right yeah. now i know i know i'm good at, at, at interviewing and i know i'm do i'm good at doing the podcast but as far as the strength in social media that's a hundred percent my wife and i've always given her the credit because if it wasn't for her i don't even know how far i would make it right now but oh that's why social media but those are the, that's the kind of stuff that you got you have to like start thinking you can't just say i'm oh i'm just good at this stuff i'm good at singing i'm good at all right but what else that that you're, you're you're good at um and and also if you're not good at it which is something i've learned you got to find some you got to find people that are willing or able to help yeah. you out along those stuff okay you're not good at social media like myself so get someone that's able to do it either teach you or help you do it for you because if it's just you alone that work in itself is way too heavy way too much for you to do by yourself yeah, you got to have a team, man. Right. And that's with everything. That's, you know, I, I learned that playing sports as a kid. I learned it as as a band member and a band leader over all these years. And I learned it in show business, working at TV networks and websites. And especially in production, like 
if you don't have a good director of photography, if you don't have a good lighting guy, a good camera guy, a good audio guy, like you're sunk, man. Like you, you could, it doesn't even matter if you know how to do all that stuff. You can't do it all. So right. you have to have people that are great, that you can trust implicitly, that you don't have to micromanage. Right. And, and also, you know, you'll learn something from, because right. like over the years, I've been lucky enough to hook up with like, in my production career, a couple editors and a couple camera people and a couple cinematographers who are so good at what they do and so much better at it than I am. But then I have this other thing that they maybe lack or, you know, like right. we complement each other. So right. instead of me kind of going like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I need this or I can do all this myself. I'm like, well, I want the A-team, man. I want like the four best, craziest MFers in a black and red van. And, right. you know, we're going to be a team. <laughs> you know, and the A team, like, you know, you had to have face and you had to have Murdoch and you had to have BA, you know, and you had to have Hannibal. It's four people. It's not one person. You know what I mean? It's a good team. It's a good team. I read somewhere where it says that if you don't have people that's around you to uplift you and push you towards the dream that you have, then you can't you can't go as far as you need to go, because if you're not surrounding yourself with people that's pushing you forward. It's, it's, it's going to be a problem because there's a well, lot of people that's around. They want, they want to make it, they want to be around you when you make it. But when in the process of you making it, working it, they don't want to have anything to do with it. So you want to have a group, a team that believe in the dream that you have. So they, when, when you're moving forward, they're moving forward. And if you, if you stay stagnant and you feel like you're not moving, they're the one that's going to say, look, let's go today. We got, I know you're, you're tired. I know you've been up all night, but we got to do this. You got to do this. Yeah. The long run is that we have something, we have a goal to achieve. If we don't, this is the consequences, but keep pushing. If you have people that's around you that's doing those things, you're most likely not going, you're not going to be tired because it's always somebody always giving you that positive reinforcement energy. And I think that sort of circling back to your first question about, you know, fatherhood and stuff, I feel like that is part of the role of being a father is uh, to some extent, you are your kid's biggest supporter and biggest coach. And of course you have to criticize them and you have to push them. And sometimes you have to yell at them and punish them. And cause right. that's part of motivating too, like any good coach. Um, but one thing I really learned, like when my kid was in sports and um, you know, I was in sports as a little kid because you know, when you're a boy in America, you are pointed towards sports until right. there's a reason not to be. That is just right, how right. we were raised. So I did sports like everyone else until I found the guitar. And then I had no interest in sports. And I just wanted to play music. My kid, when she was in soccer, you know, the thing that I got the most out of that was seeing the way that she responded to her coach and being on a team. And I really felt like it was important, that coach role, mm -hmm. because not only is it similar, uh, to what we do as fathers, you know, we're coaching our kids and we're filling them with inspiration and we're pushing them harder, but we're also there when they, when they mm -hmm. fall. Um, but also I like that, you know, cause kids, sometimes they also start to grind with their parents and all of a sudden they're like, man, dad, you just tell me. To. So I really liked having a coach in the mix too, besides that, because it was almost like on other father, mm -hmm. meaning if she ain't going to listen to me, I know when she gets to soccer practice, she's going to listen to the coach. Absolutely. And so I found in her younger days, that um, being, and I always tell this, and it's funny, because like I said, I'm not really a big sports guy, but I'm really big for kids being in sports mm -hmm. in their youth, you know, in their early days. I think right. it's super important. I think having that second sort of father figure coming from a coach, uh, having nothing to do with whether they have a good father in their life or not. If they have one, great. Now they have a second father figure. Right. If they don't have one, then even better. 
um, you know, in that now they might have that role in their life. And, and so I was a big fan uh, as far as I felt the sports actually helped mm-hmm. me as a parent. Like it yeah. helped me kind of tune my kid up a little bit. You know? Okay, okay, cool, cool. So just to wrap up the, your, your journey with your dad, if you had the chance to tell any one of your dads, right? Any one of your dads, anything that maybe you haven't said or you wanted to say, and they're in front of you right now. Um, and I don't know if all of them are still alive. If you had a chance of just talking to them and wanted to tell them anything that you wanted to tell, tell them, what would it be? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I would probably tell my dad now with all the love and due respect, uh, you got to stop all this Trump supporting, man. But <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to get all political. I know that's not this kind of show. But I mean, I, the, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I mean, one of the weird, terrible things about social media and stuff is you get all this insight into people's political beliefs and that you wouldn't necessarily even bother talking to them. I mean, I have friends I've known for years. I've never even once asked them whether they're Republican or Democrat, and I kind of right. could care less. Right. And, then, and I'm not going to go there. We don't have to get this. But I will say that, yeah, my... I see my dad posting all this Trump stuff and I would love to just without without have fearing any dissolving of our entire relationship because that mm-hmm. what, that is what would happen if I had this conversation I was candid I would love to just say man you gotta wake up <laughs> um, but short of that you know I, I kind of alluded to this earlier my stepdad he he married my mom and this is my second stepdad the one who right. came in later mm-hmm. in my life. He married my mom and he, I don't think he particularly necessarily wanted kids, but we kind of came with the package and we were nice enough kids. We weren't terrible. So he took us on and he did his best. Uh, we had, he and I had a lot of trouble growing up or when I was growing up. Um, but we sort of smoothed it out later, but he did a few things that were humongously influential mm-hmm. and I don't think he realized that they were influential, but, um, he was in show business and we didn't know people in show business when we were little kids. I mean, maybe we knew some people whose kids were, but we didn't know. Um, and he worked in, for Universal at the time, and he was able to get on the sets of like TV shows and movies and stuff. So he took my brother and I to the sets of a few TV shows. It was a show called The White Shadow. I don't know if you remember that. It was in the 70s, like a high school basketball drama. And there was a couple other like sitcoms and stuff where he like took us on the set. And my brother and I got to see like behind the scenes of how TV shows were made and that mm-hmm. there was a director and that the cast who seemed like these superstars were just people that would come up and talk to us. And then they took us to some concerts and dude, the second concert I ever saw in my life and the first comedy concert I ever saw in my life is Eddie Murphy on the Delirious Tour. Wow. The second concert, the second comedy concert I ever saw, because my first, my parents took me to see Jimmy Buffett, right? I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, whatever. Then I saw Eddie Murphy on the Delirious Tour. Then I saw Eddie Murphy on the Raw Tour. Wow. So both outfits, the red leather and the purple or the blue leather. Classic, classic. And then they also, around that same time, took me to see the Blues Brothers with Booker T T and the MGs were the backing band. Paul Schaefer from the Letterman Band was the keyboard player. And John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and, you know, Mike McIntyre Murphy, the whole thing. So not only did we get to go to these incredible concerts when we were young and concerts that as little kids we should have had no business being at because... You know, curse laden, forget about it. But they took us backstage. And my dad was unaware that I think Brecken and I, my brother's an actor, uh, Brecken Meyer, and Mm -hmm. I'm a musician, Frank Meyer. And when we went to these shows, 
and we got to see behind the scenes and there were celebrities hanging around and we got to see like the directors and so, I think that had a humongous impact on both of us and so if I had one thing I would tell my dad I was I think he beats himself up for maybe not being such a great dad and I would be like no actually you were pretty good you tried your best but you did by doing those couple things you actually completely sent my brother and I down mm. these career paths right. that you know, have changed the course of our entire lives. Right, right. So actually, I mean, what what more could you ask for from a parent figure than to accidentally change the entire course of your life? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so, amazing. That's amazing. Know. That's really, really amazing to have that experience, to experience those these things, not only with uh, your dad, but your brother too. And, and think about how many times I experienced the F word at those concerts. <laughs> endless. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. When we grew up too, like, like music, you know, like going to concerts and stuff when we were a kid was, you know, those were big for us. Like, I, I think it really had a huge impact. I don't think that even we realized it at the time. But, you know, seeing like edgy comedians, seeing edgy comedians at a young age was really kind of opened up our minds seeing like sophisticated music and and hearing comedy that was that made your brain kind of have to work a little work, bit like, right yeah yeah like that stuff it was big for me and like i mean people i don't know i'm older than you but like people don't realize like eddie murphy in that time like he was like elvis mm. you know what i mean and but but like i didn't have any like i didn't care about elvis because he was like my parents' generation right, it seemed, right. seemed kind of like hillbilly to me or something, but like Saturday Night Live, that was big for me. And and so to see a guy like Eddie, who was kind of a rock star and on the biggest TV show and had music videos and wore leather outfits like Prince, like, and then we saw him in person. Like that blew my mind as a kid. Mm. It blew my mind, and I feel like that was the beginning of me going, I want to be in show business. Nice. Wow, wow, yeah. I mean, especially exposure to those kind of things that allow your mind to work um, better. It opens your mind up to see the possibilities that you have. Because sometimes if you're not exposed to it, you don't know how much you can do. You don't know that the, the range you can reach. And especially, and I'm very thankful for your, your stepdad for allowing you to um, explore those things. I mean, granted, I don't even think that was his, that was the reason why he was doing no. it. But the, the fact that he did it was, I think, is, is, I think helped propel you on the goal that you're, on the journey that you're, you, you are in right now. I, I think if, if, if he wasn't, I think you would have probably missed, um, had a different direction, which is fine. But I think that helped a lot. And I really, um, I appreciate that for that you are able to have that kind of experience and make that decision at an early age as well. So, Let's end with this. Let's end with that. And let's move on to um, um, dadhood, the, the fun part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So tell me about dadhood for you. You know, some kids, when they're little, they just know that they're going to be a dad. And I don't know why mm. I thought this, but for some reason, I just always knew I was going to be a dad. I didn't, mm. I didn't have this vision of who I was going to marry or like, what my ideal wife would be or whether I have a boy or a girl. I didn't have any of those details, but I think I just always knew that I was going to be a dad or that I always wanted to be. I always liked kids and I always get along great with kids. I always did when I was younger and even, you know, now and stuff. Um, So 
I was excited about being a dad at that time. Of course, I was married. I was younger. I was much greener. I probably still had stars in my eyes and thought <laughs> the whole world owed me something, and I was going to be, you know, top of the top of the heap or whatever. But uh, I was very excited to be a father. And then fatherhood comes fast and furious, as you know. You, I don't care how prepared. I don't care how much you thought as a kid, like I did, that you were going to be this great dad. And I'm a pretty good dad, but. Um, the whole thing is mind-boggling when it hits you because first off, as you know, you don't sleep at all for the first several months. And if you're lucky, you can trade off shifts with your wife. If you're really lucky, maybe your wife doesn't sleep and just goes, I got this. But generally it becomes like tag team and you know, you're not sleeping, she's not sleeping, you're not sleeping, she's not sleeping. Um, and it's, you know, it's rough. And if you have a job, or if you both have jobs and you're dealing with that and having to get up and go to work, um, you know, it's, it, it, it runs you ragged at first. And the thing that I remember being the most stressful in those early days was any moment I wasn't with my kid mm -hmm. in that I became so consumed with being there all the time and, you know, running in the room if she cried and, you know, getting up if she stirred in her sleep that when, you know, my job gave me like a couple weeks at the time yep. for like, mm -hmm. you know, believe and then when I had to go back I was just racked with guilt and nerves wow. and angst because I felt like I was abandoning my wife and that I was mm. leaving her with just you know gigantic task and I also felt like if if, the, if it went down like I don't know where how soon could I get home if I needed to be right so I remember when I I had like separation anxiety I feel like you know when I first when I first started leaving the house and then I just one story I'll tell you, which was the first time that I ever went out at night after my kid had been born. So like for the first three months, I probably just didn't do anything social that wasn't involving like food and groceries. And a friend of mine, a guy who played drums in my band back when we were like a touring band, he's like, hey, I'm coming through LA with this band and you know, I'm gonna be playing at this club, you should come down. I was like, you know what? I would like to come down to that. That sounds fun. I go to my wife and I go, honey, would you mind? Mm -hmm. And our, our kid was sick at the time, just had a little head cold, but you know, no big deal. And she's like, yeah, I got this. Kid's just a little sick. You go have your fun, go see your boys, you go have a couple beers, go have a good time, it's gonna be great. So I go and I'm having my guys night out, blah, blah. I come back and I open the door and my wife is standing there holding our screaming, shrieking child whose eye is the size of a swollen red pussy baseball. Ooh. And I'm just like, what happened? I've only been gone for like two hours. Apparently, and my daughter's gonna love me for telling this story, she fell asleep with on her tummy with her butt up and had diarrhea and the diarrhea leaked down with gravity to her body got in her hand she wiped her eye and Whoa. boom it blew up like a ball and then i walked in after like a couple beers hey that's a what and she's sitting there and the baby's swole face is swollen and she's shrieking and she's like you got to take the baby to the hospital and i did but i never went out again for like a year <laughs> So that was my lesson. I was like, don't ever leave the baby. You wow. literally, I, after that, I was like, if you leave the baby, the baby's head will explode. Will explode. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that during or after uh, the birth of your child that you experienced some kind of, you know, um, stress. You know, a, a lot of time it get, it get passed over for uh, the dad that 
you know, the stress and the anxiety only goes to the mom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also been reading a lot where there is a lot of men that go through this, where a lot of dads that go through this when after the baby's born, they they mentally change. They, 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 the way they think, the way they go about, they go about things change. Like I said before, going back to work was stressful for you because now you, all you were thinking about is your child. A lot of us go, go through this. A lot of men go through this and we don't talk about that. And I'm happy that you were able to mention that because it is true. It does happen. It does uh, occur as sometimes frequently. We don't even realize it. But because it's so, it's a norm, so to speak, quote, unquote, for a woman to go through this, that we literally, society, bypass men and just go straight to the mom and um not and we don't even know how to deal with that stuff there's not even much research on it but it does happen there's also you know a lot of women get postpartum depression right uh which is in and it can be to different degrees uh but you know essentially they they even though everything is telling them that, hey, you just had a baby and you should be the happiest you've ever been in your whole life, something inside them is not allowing them to right. be happy. And in fact, they're racked with, with guilt and they're racked with fear. And there's the whole sort of, you know, it's like, I mean, it's a legit thing. It's not just right. like, oh, I get depressed. But men, there's a, I feel like, and again, it's, I don't know that how researched it is, but there's like a man version of that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it manifests itself different because I feel like, men are wired different and okay let's take a brief commercial break what i found is that i also had a lot of stress but it wasn't like the kind of like crippling depression where you don't leave the room it's Mm -hmm. more like i just carried on with my life but i just had this sort of pit of fear in my stomach that i just never had before like i'm not i'm not in general someone who's very scared of things right but i found that i had this deep hole that i couldn't quite fill and i as time went on i realized it was fear Mm -hmm. and it was just that everything was scary to me now and i felt i always felt so confident about everything even if it was even if i had no right to be by the way (laughs) because part of of being a teenager is you're confident about everything and like you're just wrong half the time Mm -hmm. oh, oh, oh i know everything but you know, I was I was so used to feeling confident about things, especially being a musician, you know, singer. Like I'm out there, I'm always sort of like the front guy. And now I'm a father, and I don't know anything. Mm. And every single thing I do could result in the death of my child mm. and the end of my relationship with my wife. If you mm. know, if I made some horrible decision, so I was right. really freaked out for a long time, and it took me a while to kind of just relax with the whole thing. And then the other thing that I noticed, and tell me if you've had friends like this. I've had a lot of friends who, when they have their kid, they kind of freak out and they go the opposite way, which is like all of a sudden they start really drinking and Mm. partying or hitting the clubs and having this like weird reverse adolescence thing of like, I know that I am now officially tied down an adult and I got these responsibilities and they go the complete opposite way. And instead of freaking out about sticking to them, they go F the responsibilities and they just blow everything off. And it's almost like, you know, shooting yourself in the foot. Like you do this incredible thing and then you're, 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 you get crushed under the weight mm. of its importance and you just crumble and do stupid stuff. You know, I, I, I can say, I've, I've said this a, a few times and I'm going to repeat it here. There's, there, is a, there is a mental growth that you have to have in every stage of your life. One is when you have a girlfriend, you and your girlfriend, there's a different stage for that, right? It's, it's kind of like everything is nice, it's beautiful, it's butterflies in your stomach, you can't mm-hmm. get enough. 
is another stage when you get married, right? It's just you and your wife. Now you have a ring in the finger. She's your wife, your husband. It's a different stage. Then there's another stage when you are a dad and you guys have a child. That's a whole different stage. And then you're talking about adding another child to that. It's a different stage. So all those stages matter. Now, if you are not, if you are not mentally ready for those stages in your life, you digress, you move backwards. Instead of moving forward, you move um, um, backwards. And that's why a lot of people tend to go to. Um, if you're not ready to be, become a dad, if you're not ready to take on that challenge, that journey of dadhood, it's gonna become scary. And now instead of you taking it head on, you just you say, I'm, you know what, I'm gonna continue doing me. That's another, that's another thing. You think about a lot of selfish. I'm gonna continue doing me. I'm gonna continue hitting the club. I'm gonna continue doing drinking. I'm gonna continue going out with the boys. And you forget about the growth. And when you don't grow, you you can't move up. You know. Yeah. So you just you start thinking about yourself and only about yourself. But when you take that journey of dadhood, of your parenthood, and you take it and you fully embrace it and see how much of an impact you're having on the your, your child, on the kid that's that that has that can't do anything by themselves. Then you start understanding the value of dadhood, this journey that you're yep. taking. So a lot of people don't 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 know it, and they don't they don't they can't experience it because they're they're, they're scared of it. So I've always encouraged. I'll say if you are if you are to have a child, make sure you mentally are prepared to to be a dad because that itself. And I, I I talked about it in the last podcast. You have to um, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about being a dad and you got to want to be a dad. If you're not, it's going to impact you in a negative way. You really have to jump at this with everything, should I say. Yeah. If not, it's going to backfire and you're going to feel like, I'm going to continue doing whatever I, I, I'm going to do. It's all about me, me, me. Right. And like you said, then some people end up actually kind of going in reverse. And instead of having this opportunity to mature and grow as you're now kind of going on this new journey, some people kind of run backwards and mm -hmm. get even regressed, even being more irresponsible or immature or kind of shirking this responsibility. There's a, uh, Jerry Seinfeld put out a new comedy special a few months ago on Netflix, and he had a great bunch of great jokes in there about dads. But one of them was he said, uh, you dress, if, if you're a father, you dress the way you dress now the exact way you did when your kid was born. Basically mm -hmm. meaning like when your kid's born, you stop. And you basically like, you spend the rest of your life trapped in that moment, <laughs> essentially. Mm -hmm. Which I thought about it because like, I would, you know, when my kid was born, it was like the early 2000s. I was playing in a punk rock band. I had Converse sneakers and torn jeans and a, probably a cowboy shirt and all this, that, and this. And as I'm watching Jerry Fein Seinfeld say that you're frozen in time after you have your kid, I look down, I'm like, I'm wearing ripped <laughs> jeans and a cowboy shirt. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to grow. Not only physically, you have to mentally grow. There's the stages, different stages in every aspect of your life. And if you're not ready to take that on head on, it's gonna hit you hard and you're only gonna you're gonna move backwards instead of moving forward. Yep. You're gonna move backwards. So with um I know you mentioned before uh, that you always wanted to be a dad, which is interesting that you said is you always wanted to be a dad. You didn't know who you were gonna marry, you don't know, you know, how many kids you're gonna have, but you always wanted to be a dad, which is finally I find it interesting because I always wanted to be a dad because I the experience that I had with my dad wasn't wasn't 
the best, right? So I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be a dad so I can show my son, my child, what it is, what it means to be a dad. Like everything that he didn't do for me, I wanted to do for my son. And maybe you wanted to show yourself that too. Right. I think that's what it is. I wanted to show myself that I can be a good dad and that's why I need to be. So before you became a dad, became um, a father, did you know what kind of dad you wanted to be? And do you think you were that person now? I think that I always knew that I, I don't know if I had an idea of what kind of dad I wanted to be. I kind of knew what kind of dad I didn't want to be. Okay. I think that was the thing, is that I had seen a lot of crappy dads over the years from my friends. Like I said, my, my dads all did their best, and I had different relationships with them, but none of them were like bad dads or anything like that. But I had this different these different degrees and these different personalities. But I had friends who had really terrible, terrible fathers. Right. And and I had my three dads with their unique approaches. So I had a lot of examples of good dads and bad dads or good dads that did bad things or bad dads that did good things. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, and so I've kind of had this idea of the type of person that I wanted to be, I think is really what it more was, was like, I just know the way I react or that I deal with other people. And I know how I deal with kids. And I just knew that my my instinct with my own kid, because of course, you know, your instinct is to love and support your kid, mm-hmm. um, would kick in that I'd probably, I'd probably be all right. So I didn't necessarily knew what kind of dad, but just more like what I didn't want to be. But I'll tell you this, um, I had a bunch of friends growing up whose parents, uh, when they were teenagers, were what we would call like the really cool parents, meaning mm-hmm. like they'd let you go over to their house and drink the beer, mm-hmm. or you could smoke, and if they walked in and caught you smoking cigarettes, they didn't throw your ass out of the house, or like they would, you know, smoke weed with you or let the kids smoke weed and stuff. And when I was young, and you know, all of a sudden you'd go into someone's house and you could just openly do whatever you wanted, I thought that was so cool. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, wow, those parents are so cool. As I got older, I remember going, I don't want to be that guy. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be that kind of parent. Like, mm-hmm. forget about what I do. I'm an adult. I can do these things if I choose to, but I would not do them in front of my kid. I certainly wouldn't have my kid come over and have partake. this conversation. Yeah, partake or 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 have a live or have a household where my kid can tell other people like, "Hey, you guys want to go drink?" come to my place Mm. or maybe my dad will give us some of his weed or buy us some alcohol. Like all that to me is insane. Mm. It's insane until they're 18. Like I think all that stuff, again, you can be honest with your kid. If you got to, as your kid gets older, maybe, you know, I'm not ever teach their own. I'm not making any judgments. I'm just saying the idea that when kids are young and in the early teenage days, uh, or even in the later teenage days, this idea that you would like smoke and drink with your kid or even look the other way is completely insane to me. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like the definition of irresponsible parenting. And so that's one of those things that just, I've always in my head kind of gone, it's just never gonna happen. Like, yeah, I don't care how cool like- I think I am. Like I don't, and that's the thing that, not to interrupt you, but a lot of parents want to be friends with their kids. And like, you can be friends with your kids, but don't be friends with your kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like meaning you can be friendly with you. You want to have an open and honest relationship with your kid. You want them to come with you with their problems and stuff, but you can't really be their friend because you're their parent and you have to discipline them and you have to tell them things not to do and they have to respect you. And if you're trying to do a whole dance to make your friend and their dopey teenage friends Mm -hmm. think you're cool, 
that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's why I said progress. You have to you have to grow. Somebody like that sounds a parent like that sounds like sounds like someone that has given up as being a uh, a parent. Or, or they're not dead. Or they've just never taken it seriously in the first right. place. And right. they're like like it goes back to what we said, they're stunted in this denial and adolescence. So they're not allowing themselves to grow up and they're really even in denial that they're even parents. Because right. if they were, they wouldn't be doing that stuff with their kid. Mm -hmm. Or looking the other way. You can never look the other way with your kid. I mean, you, you can't. Looking the other way, they, they fall and hit their head. Or they do worse things when they're <laughs> teenagers, get pregnant. <laughs> you know? But you know what I mean? Like, this idea that, like, oh, I'm going to be a cool parent. You know, hey, man, whatever. I wanted my parent, my kid to think I'm cool. Like, no, you don't. You want them to think of your, your dad. Not cool. Yeah, because hey, you need you, you might need, be cool, but <laughs> you need that discipline in your life as a child or as a as an adolescent. You need that you need that discipline because now you need it's a structure. If it's if it's not if that if that if that balance is not there, you can see that where you waving towards. If you if you're around your 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 friends and you're that kind of parent that just let let anything go, I'm telling you right now, the kid that you that's gonna grow up unless that kid has a, a strong mind frame. Is going to grow up to be a very loose person and not have a structure in their life, which is something that you don't want to have to do. You nailed it right there. Structure to me is everything with kids. And, you know, in both, I've written two books about, about um, raising kids and both of them, but especially the second one, because it's really more about raising kids. The first one is about um, what you need to know when women are pregnant as a father. But in the second one, we really talk all about structure. Um, in that like kids need to be on a set schedule. They need to know who they answer to in their lives. They need to know that there's rules and they need to know if they break those rules, that there are consequences mm -hmm. and you have to stick to that stuff. And that's when you can't be like Mr. Cool dad and be like, mm -hmm. well, you know, she gave me that look. And whenever she gives me that look, I, you know, <laughs> got her wrapped around, wrapped around her finger. So I didn't punish her. Like, no, that's not how you do it, man. You mm -hmm. have to stick to this stuff. They have to know there's consequences. You have to be, you have to be consistent with kids and you have to provide them with structure. Cool. Yes. Yes. As a dad, was there anything in particular that you feel like you, you wanted to do different or could have um, done different? Hmm. Good question. I would say, you know, it's a, it's a strange thing. My kid, my kid was one of those kids when she was little that just never did anything wrong. And that's so like people say that and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Sure, man. But like, I'm telling you, she just was one of those kids where like, I really didn't have to punish her very much because mm -hmm. she just kind of wasn't rebellious. They talk about the t terrible twos. Her twos were not terrible. But as a teenager, she's had more trouble. And I don't mean trouble like in any bad way. I'm just saying like now as, you know, of course, she's also a teenager in COVID, which is a different story. You know, going to high school now is a different story because there's a school, it's online. So this last year has been, the last six months with all this stuff has been stressful. But I guess that I've noticed that because maybe things were so stress-free and so easy in some ways for her as a child, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to discipline her. And you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm going out of my way to discipline my kid if they don't do something to warrant it. I'm not just gonna be like, you're punished. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just felt like I wanna get one out of my system. <laughs> now I've found as she's older and she's dealing with teenage drama and teenage crises and boyfriends and girlfriends and stressful peer pressure stuff, 
I almost, you know, sometimes I almost wonder, or I, I go, geez, I wonder if she, if she had been a little bit more rebellious as a kid, it would have given me the opportunity to discipline her, and those things might have had some sort of different impact. Not a bad one, not a good one. It's just mm -hmm. like literally, like her whole life, I like I never had to yell at her because she just never did anything wrong. But now at 16, it's just drama, 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 drama. And of course, I know like she's 16. Of course, it's going to be drama, drama. That's what being a 16 year old is, especially in the middle of a of a worldwide pandemic. But I have to say, sometimes I look back and I kind of go, I don't know, was I too easy on her? Like. Mm. I can't think of times when she did something and I didn't react. It's more like she just never did a lot of things that I had to like react negatively towards. Right. But I somehow in the back of my head, I go, I don't know, maybe I should have just made some stuff up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? You didn't clean your room, but it's spotless. Oh yeah. No, it's not. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So that's the only thing I wonder is just like, sometimes I wonder, I mean, I can't think of opportunities where I should have or could have done something differently. But I also know when I think back on it, she had a very carefree childhood with not a lot of stress or discipline. And I don't know, maybe some more would have been a good thing. Maybe not. I don't know. You asked. So that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let me hit a little softer side of you then. Describe to me the moment you met your daughter. Uh, the moment I met her was when she was born in the hospital. I was right there in the room and I even kept the t-shirt the that I wore. I had a Ramones t-shirt on and at the time I had just written my first book and it was about the Ramones and so I had my Ramones t-shirt on. It's funny because you look at the pictures of me holding her now and I just, I mean, I literally look like a little kid and I've got like a Ramones t-shirt on, you know, just this like little, little youth. Um, but yeah, I, I was in the, the, the hospital room and uh, I remember the, the sound and sights of her coming out and breathing her first breath of air and it was completely exhilarating. Our whole family was in the other room mm. and if there's one regret, I, I probably invited them into the room too quickly mm. in that like moments after, I mean not moments, but minutes after we'd had this moment and you know, she'd just given birth. So she right. was pretty exhausted. I like opened the door and, and you know, the room was flooded with parents. And I remember my my wife at the time giving me this look like, really, you could have mm. waited a few more minutes. I just gave birth. But so yeah, it was exhilarating and it was happy. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, which was there's, maybe you guys have some version of this out there, but out here there was this rumor of this restaurant that had a pregnant salad and in that it was a salad that apparently because of the right spices in the dressing and olive oil or whatever that if a woman who was extremely pregnant like late you know wanted to get that baby out you went and you ate the salad and boom the baby would come out and we had heard this and we thought of course it was just bs you know but my wife was two weeks late and so she calls me at work one day and she goes, hey, I'm going into the valley and I'm going to get the pregnant salad. I was like, good luck, you know, I'm sure it's all BS. And I get a call three hours later saying, I'm on my way to the hospital, you gotta come meet me. I just broke my water and I was like, what? The pregnant salad worked, it really did work. And what's crazy is that when she was home, she went home after getting the salad and she was making chili. And back then we would like make a big thing of chili and we'd like freeze half mm -hmm. of it you know, for later. And then, so she was making the chili and she called me and she's like, I'm making chili and I just broke my water and I'm gonna go run to the, the hospital. You gotta come meet me at the pregnancy salad worked. And she runs <laughs> off and I was just like, oh my God. So I, I run to the hospital and it was like 24 hours of birth giving birth. It was 
long. And about halfway through that, she goes, look, why don't you go home, get me a, go get me a heating pad, go change and shower, pick this up, pick that up, and just come right back here. I'm gonna, it's not gonna happen in the next few minutes. You're fine. There's still some chili in the fridge. And I go, wait a second, what? You weren't you in the middle of making the chili when your when your water broke? And she's like, yeah, but I finished making the chili. <laughs> I was like, whoa! I'm like, that is so gangster. You finished <laughs> making the chili? That's what? a keeper. That's a keeper. <laughs> I was like, that is tough. You are a tough broad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and no, I was gonna ask about you know some favorite m- memories that you have, but that's definitely a <laughs> definitely a good one. That's definitely definitely a good one. So um. I'm not going to hold you long. I'm not going to hold you too long. So, um, but I'm enjoying the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that. So if you could describe three moments, three great moments as a dad, you can say three good moments besides, I guess, the birth of your your daughter, so to speak, but three great moments that you can actually say, these are like pinned in my head to remember by. The first moment with my child that really stands out is the day that we brought her home. And we had, you know, you spend months prepping your kid's room. And so we brought the baby home and now brought the baby into this room that we had been, you know, making for so long. And uh, I remember I basically was gonna rock the baby to sleep and I put on uh, Rainbow Connection, you know, from the Muppet movie soundtrack. And I just, that moment, it's just burned into my brain of just Mm. like being in my baby's room, holding the baby, my wife by my side, rainbow connection by the Muppets playing. Uh, It just, you know, rocking my child to sleep for the first time. It was just one of those kind of everything changed. And and maybe it was the first time that I really felt like, um, like, like a man. You know what I mean? Like, I think I, I was like, I, I grew up at that moment to some extent. Mm. Uh, so that was the first one. Uh, second one, when my kid was playing soccer, she was a goalie and they were in this heated game and she jumped down to block a goal from an oncoming kicker. And the girl took her foot back with the cleat and missed the ball and kicked my kid with full power from like two feet away with a cleat right in the cheek and broke her whole cheekbone like shattered her face you wouldn't know now she's a beautiful girl but we were halfway across the soccer field my ex-wife and i and so we saw her take the hit and we saw her go down but then we saw her get right back up Mm. and 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 for some reason which to this day i still can't figure out they just blew the whistle and kept going with the game, which was another, you know, it was like towards the end anyway, maybe another minute or two. But I, you know, I saw that kick and I was like, oh, that can't be good. So then a few seconds later when they could, but the coach had run up to her. So I was like, well, if there was something serious, they would have called the game. Then when we go up, I see my entire kid's face is just dented and black and blue and bleeding. And I'm just like, how, what, who looked at this and made the call to keep going and we rushed her to the hospital and they're like yeah her entire cheekbone is broken wow. and that moment was the scariest moment as having a kid uh, which I guess would qualify as one of the top three moments because scary counts um, but also I gotta say like when it all when the fear of her life subsided I was like Damn, my kid took a cleat to the face, broke her whole face, and kept playing. Yeah. 
that was the part that I was like, all right, I, I went from terrified to proud. Cause I was like, she didn't raise her hand and say, take me out. She just got up and kept playing. That's that balls right there. I think that was cool. Uh, the other thing, the most recent, the, the last one would be the most recent thing, which was um, my daughter got herself a job and saved up and bought herself a car. Yeah. <laughs> and even crazier, she went into the used car lot. She, she had us drive an hour away to BFE to this janky ass car lot to go get this car she had her eye on. And I'm driving her there going like, what? Yo, there's car lots in Long Beach where we live. Why we got to go out here? She's like, no, 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 this is a good deal. This is a good deal. She gets there. And she has my dad, my stepdad, the one who you know raised me, Chris, on the phone. And she basically had it to where she's the teenager, I'm the good cop, and my dad on the phone is the bad cop. So she's just playing innocent the whole time. Like, well, this is the car I want, and this is the numbers, and this is the money that I saved up for that I can afford. And so the guy's, of course, kind of going, oh, it's a teenager, I'm not going to you know, jerk around too hard. But then... Every single time he'd try to, you know, pull like, well, do you want to pay for the blah, blah, blah insurance? She'd go, uh-huh, hold on. She'd get on the phone with my dad and she'd be like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 he's trying that. Uh-huh, okay, I'll tell him. Yeah, my dad says, absolutely no way. And then he'd look over at me kind of like, help, and I'd be like, hey, man, this is my dad too. And <laughs> he knows cars and he is not a good dude. Like, you don't want, it's going to get ugly if you go to. So she talked him down like $2,000 off the price wow. that was already a good price. So she just gangstered the whole, like the whole thing. Like she had it all worked out that like my dad, she had him on the line waiting. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like on some, like, uh-huh, let me check in with my consigliere here. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's unacceptable. And I was just like, what? Proud moment. <laughs> I, I thought it was incredible. So I was like, and I, and I, and one of the reasons I think I was so proud is I hate used car salesmen mm. and I'm terrible at that stuff. And I'm the guy who immediately goes, yeah, I guess that does sound like a pretty good, <laughs> that sounds like a square deal, sir. You know what I mean? Like I have none of those powers of seeing through, like when I go into a used car lot, it's like for me going into a dentist or a doctor, but somehow she just saw through the whole thing and went in all tough. And I was so happy. <laughs> wow, that's a proud moment. That is a problem. I, was, I thought it was really cool, man. And <laughs> and also, and she didn't need me to, you know, she didn't even once probably because she knew I'm not good at this, but she did not ask for my help beyond, will you drive me there? And will you stand there and just don't say anything? Basically, right. I was like, yeah, I can do that. But she played her card right. You know, yeah, you being there and then she have your, uh, yep. your stepdad on the phone. So she had like full support. That was the move. Just having him, I swear to God, it was, it was like, I was like, that's a genius move. Like, yeah. cause then you don't even know, dude, there could have been no one on the phone mm. for all he knew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like think about what a genius move that is. You, any situation you say, yeah, mm -hmm, I'm just going to have them on the line. Yeah. Especially cause you know, when you're talking about car salesman, you're talking about and dealing with a one woman to a, a young age, they're just going to literally just going to take advantage of you. But I'm sure when she walked in there, especially with my unassuming ass, she was just like, the guy was just <laughs> like, I am going to rob these people for it. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm sure we look like pigeons, but she knew what she wanted. And, and I knew just to keep my mouth shut. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. I have two more questions. I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> so just to wrap up with your journey as a dad, how do you want your daughter to remember you by? I think that my daughter is going to remember that I was always in her corner, that I always had her back, and that we had 
a really good time together. You know, we get along really well. One of the most special things for me is the bond that I have with my daughter. Like we can finish each other's sentences and I kind of can't BS her. She just sees right through me. Um, and, and there's a, and I'm good at BSing. Like I can BS the, the best of the BSers, but she just, there's none of that with her. She sees right through it. So I love the honesty we have. I love the rapport we have. And I, I hope, and I think that she'll always sort of cherish that. But if there was something I wanted her to learn from me beyond just looking at our relationship in a positive light and looking at me as a, a good you know, father figure and a loving parent, I think that I'm a really hardworking person. And I think that she has picked that up from me. She's a very hardworking person. I've always had sort of a, I'm not sure where I got it from, but I've always had sort of a leader type quality. I tend to be, you know, in the band, I tend to be the front guy. If we're a football team, I tend to be the quarterback, though I'm not built to be a quarterback. But you know what I'm saying? I tend to be <laughs> right. the guy who goes, hey, here's the idea. Let's all go do this thing. Rah, rah, rah. And, um, and then I tend to work harder than everyone else and have more ideas and more willing to sort of see them through and kind of just keep pushing things forward. I, I tend to not leave things unfinished. I tend to do a lot and I complete everything. And so I think that she has already picked up on that work ethic that I have. My guess is she's already annoyed by it too, like most of the women in my life. Because they, <laughs> they, they realize that it's not other women they, are, they should be threatened by, it's work, it's my brain. Um, and that's not to say that I'm super smart, it's that I'm a workaholic and I'm a super creative guy. So I've always got ideas and I'm always doing them. When we get off the phone, I'm gonna jump right back into, you know, doing more stuff, like I'm right. always doing stuff. So it's probably annoying if you um, have to live with me, but I think it's something that my daughter will find is going to be a great um, tool in her tool belt or a great weapon as she battles in the mm -hmm. future, which is um, knowing what hard work is, knowing that there's no way around it, mm -hmm. and knowing that if no one else steps up to the plate, then you better damn well step up to the plate. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right, so to wrap it up and close off, for all the dads out there, the dad, the father figures and those that are to be and those that are in the game already, what kind of message do you want to leave with the dads out there? If there's one message I'd like to tell other parents, it's take a deep breath. Mm. Uh, so much of parenting feels so urgent. You know, everything, when you're making a decision, when your kid falls down or does something you don't like, or suddenly you feel the need to like, oh, it's lesson time. I'm gonna use this opportunity to teach my kid a lesson. These things come fast and furious. And sometimes we act quickly and maybe sometimes too quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, there's times when I've said things to my daughter, nothing that I like, nothing terrible that I regret, but stuff where I go, geez, you know, if I mm -hmm. was if I if I didn't wasn't in the in the moment when I said it and I thought a little bit more, I took a deep breath, I might've approached that differently. And that's not, that, I would say that is beyond parenting. I think that's a good life lesson is just like, take a deep breath mm -hmm. before you talk, take a de deep breath and think about what you wanna say before you talk and what exactly 
are your actions and what do you want the results of those actions to be? Because too often we just act and do something and then have to deal with it and pick up the pieces or damage repair, you know, like, oh man, I, I know that I felt this way and it felt like the right thing to do, but I sure didn't mean to say that thing or do that thing or set these things into motion that now I got to clean up my own my own, you know, trail of destruction. Right. Uh, and I think so much of that in life is just like, take a deep breath, don't act out of emotion, act out of logic, act out of love, not fear. Mm. So if, you know, I would just tell parents that I know everything seems hugely important and that everything has to be done right this second and everything is an emergency and sometimes they are. But more often than not, you could take a moment and think about, what you really want to accomplish from this and what the best way to approach it is. And you'll probably come at it with a more um, measured thought out point of view or course of action. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Frank, I want to thank you so much. Thanks, man. <laughs> thank you so much for this time, for this moment. I enjoy this conversation so much. There's so many pointers in there that I really, really, I can take from it. And a lot of people can take from it. And I'm, I'm again, first and foremost, before I wrap up, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your journey. Thank you for your experience as a dad and for sharing it. I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm so glad that I reached out to you and you were able to share this journey. It's beautiful. I love it. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's nice to talk about this stuff and <clears throat> it's nice to talk with other dads about this stuff. Uh, like you said, you know, it's only been kind of recently that this space has started to open up where, where men can talk freely about mm. stuff that's not so manly because a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of being a father is like learning and mm -hmm. eating crow and having to, uh, you know, do something that you're using all the restraint you have at this moment. And, you know, sometimes it goes against everything that we learn as, as, as men up until we're fathers. And then you have mm -hmm. to redo a little reprogramming. And, and I feel like a lot of times men are not willing to open up about stuff that makes them seem vulnerable or make mm -hmm. them seem weak. But part of being a mature man and part of being a good father is admitting that like, you don't know all the answers. Sometimes you're going to do your best and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to be weak. We all are now next, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not, you don't need to get hang up on all that stuff yet. We get it, you know, but like, it's okay to be a complex person and it's okay to talk to men about the stuff we're going through and it doesn't mean you're like any less of a man because you had a problem with something or didn't mm -hmm. know the answer or screwed up and failed like you got to do that it's how you win man this is again this is was refreshing and i enjoy this conversation it's much needed and i'm hearing that a lot whenever i i have this um interviews a lot of guys i was like this is much needed there we need a platform and definitely a lot of there's a lot of podcasts and instagram stuff that's catering to dad and dadhood and the stuff and that journey and it's more of a again it's a movement right now that's being done a lot of men right now like myself is a stay-at-home dad and i'm also working so there's a lot of this that is going on a lot and it's being featured and it's being advertised a lot more and, I'm, and i applaud that i really applaud that conversation yeah. that we're having is, is very refreshing i think it's needed is necessary and it's great to just talk just freely talk. It's so so cool and so relaxing to just to just to just talk. Absolutely. And uh, if you you know if you guys want to read some of the stuff I've said about this subject, 
I've got two books. One is called From Dude to Dad, and mm-hmm. the other is called Diaper Dude. They're both on Penguin Random House. Uh, Dude to Dad is basically what men need to know when women are pregnant. All, mm-hmm. Everything from the medical side to the scheduling side to the just, hey, don't worry, this don't get freaked out about these things side of it. And then um, Diaper Dude is essentially kind of like a how-to manual mm-hmm. for new fathers between the age of birth and two. So it's just, again, it's kind of a manual. It's like when something happens, you're like, oh, well, well, okay, there's my piece of advice. Or is this weird that this happened? We tell a little anecdote. So I've got two books on this particular subject matter. Beyond that, you know, I've got lots of music out there and I play in a band called the Streetwalking Cheetahs. I play in a band called Blindhouse. I play with James Williamson and the Pink Hearts, which is James Williamson, the guitarist of Iggy and the Stooges. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then, um, you know, I also have made a document. I directed a documentary movie that's on Amazon Prime right now called Risen, the -hmm. story of Shron Hellraiser Smith. It's a documentary about a Wu-Tang rapper that suffered a brain aneurysm. Mm. I I basically was followed his journey uh, through physical rehabilitation for about eight years. Uh, And I'm finishing up now during all this time at home during the pandemic, my second documentary film, which is about the history of freestyle rap. Mm, okay. So uh, I got lots of work out there. If any of this sounds interesting <laughs> to people, come find me. It sounds like a bizarre career doing all these weird things that I do, but hey, this is who I am. <laughs> wow, wow. Again, it's a gem. It's just, you're just dry, dropping gems right now. But I want to thank you. Again, I'm not going to hold you. I'm going to wrap it up. Ben. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. And guys, again, thank you for joining me. And uh, like Frank said, you know, sometimes life can hit you hard. Honestly, it can hit you hard. As a dad, we have a tendency to, to go hard and not breathe at time. Just like Frank said, sometimes we just need to take a step back and just breathe. Breathe and just take in everything that's going on. Breathe and take in um, your, your, your journey of a dad. Breathe and just take how, how great of a dad that you are. Sometimes we're just so in the mix and, and forget that to embrace the moment. You know, and I've, I highly encourage that. We need to know how to breathe, when to breathe, how to breathe. And like you said before, to learn how to express. The reason why I have this platform is to allow uh, not only men, I know I'm going to have some women in here as well, but this is definitely a platform for us men to, to show that we are able to express feelings, emotions, stuff that's been hidden and not been uh, encouraged to express. So I highly encourage this, this, this platform that I have, I'm going to continue using it. I, it's a platform for every man, every dad story from a, a woman perspective and a, a guy perspective, but it's to encourage more conversation so we can learn more about each other. So you won't be, oh, I, I'm surprised this happened. No, like the book that he written, learn some stuff that you, you need to learn before it happens. So when it happens, you know how to deal with it. And that's what we need to do. Let's have this conversation more often so we won't be surprised when something else hit us. So again, I just want to thank you so much for all that you're doing and continue doing. Keep yourself busy, which is what you're doing best. And uh, again, I, I, I applaud you for what you're doing. I, I encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. There's always somebody watching, so you're always going to be in best behavior. And I, and I think you're definitely doing that as a dad. So keep yourself busy at all times, at all mm-hmm. times. And again, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you again for your dad journey. Thank you for your, your story and uh, for being transparent with us. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, man. Thank you for allowing me to share my story on your platform. And you're doing great work, man. You're you're giving uh, people a voice that maybe are not being heard as much these days, or you're helping 
this movement of getting these voices heard. So, uh, and you know, the bottom line is anything we can do to help people raise good kids, mm. that's a good thing, man. Yes. You know? Yes. All right, guys. So I'm not going to keep you. I'm not going to keep you any longer. So it was great. It was good. It was amazing. I love this conversation. So, guys, I will check you later. Bye. <laughs>